0: Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community.
1: Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast for Wednesday, June 7th, 2017. I'm your host, Ken Gagne, and this week we have a side quest episode. After three consecutive episodes of academic content, I thought we'd mix it up with something a little bit more lighthearted. My friend Sabriel Masson, alumna of Polygamer, and I launched the SideQuest brand last August when we saw the movie Star Trek and just had to have an outlet to talk about it. Even though it wasn't directly about video games, we figured nerd culture, geek culture, you would appreciate us talking about that movie on this show. And so to do something completely different this time... We have Sabriel Mastin here to talk to me about Wonder Woman. Hi, Sabriel.
0: Hello, Ken. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for being had. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I think this makes your fourth appearance on Polygamer. Only four? Yeah, I know, right? We'll have to work on that. You, you might as well just be a co-host at this point. Pretty much. <laughs> Give us a quick rundown. Remind us who you are, other than, you know, Nerd Girl extraordinaire and Overwatch fanatic, right?
0: Uh, more or less, yes. Um. Oh, goodness, where to begin? Uh... I am a social media manager for an Overwatch fan site. I also uh, do a show called Pulse Bomb Ready, which covers Overwatch esports. I have been on a number of podcasts, ranging from Star Trek to video games to just talking about myself.
1: Because you are the most fascinating topic on this show. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And we both just saw Wonder Woman, right?
0: Yes, yes, did just saw it last night.
1: Yeah, so last night for you was Monday night. I saw it opening night, which is Friday. We are here to talk about it because, obviously, it's getting a lot of hype, a lot of well-deserved acclaim, and also a lot of records are being broken by the fact that it has a female protagonist, which is unusual in the superhero genre, and also a female director, which we'll be talking about. But I want to get the caveat out right away that the first half of this show, roughly, will be spoiler-free. So if you, dear listener, have not yet seen Wonder Woman First, you should, but B, if you haven't, it's okay. You can keep listening. We'll create a very obvious delimiter where we start talking spoilers, at which point you can turn off the podcast and save it until you've seen the movie. So in the meantime, Sabriel, you saw Wonder Woman. What was your background with the character going into the theater?
0: Going into Wonder Woman, I knew virtually nothing about anything regarding Wonder Woman. i uh, known a number of people online who were all excited for this, and I'm like yeah cool. Another d c. hero, I have not given much uh attention to d c Like, all right, so basically all I knew about her was she had an invisible jet. she could deflect bullets with her bracers. That's about it.:
1: So would you say, as far as superhero goes, you're more of a Marvel fan?
0: Yes, and that's mostly just because I really enjoyed those films. I did not uh, consume much for comics growing up.
1: Oh, okay, now see, I didn't really get into comics until I was in high school, which was about 20 years ago, and I started reading DC almost exclusively Green Lantern, Superman, Batman, and I think a lot of that was fed by Batman the Animated series that you and I both watched on TV.
0: Not to say that too much. I just happened to catch an episode when a cousin was watching it. That's about the extent of my watching Batman the Animated series.
1: What? Get off this show. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought we were both huge Batman fans.
0: Nope. Well, it's not that I'm anti-Batman. I just I uh, did not grow up watching it.
1: Well, people who are anti-Batman don't tend to live long because he finds them and gets rid of them. <laughs> But yeah, so I I loved DC, and I never read any Wonder Woman-exclusive comics, but I did read Grant Morrison's run on Justice League of America from the late 90s to early 2000s, and then I saw Wonder Woman in some episodes of the animated Justice League of America cartoon, or Justice League, whatever it was called. I wasn't a subscriber or a regular watcher, but every now and then I'd catch an episode or I'd pick up some of the special episodes on DVD, and I have not read any DC comics, however, in the last 15 years during which time there have been a lot of reboots, a lot of infinite crises and identity crises and the like. The the 52, I'm not really up on all that, so there have been a lot of iterations of Wonder Woman that I'm not really familiar with, but I am a fan of the character, even if I don't know the details beyond remembering growing up watching her on the Super Friends fighting a character named Cheetah. <laughs> and uh, Cheetah was not in this movie, so I don't really know how relevant that background is.
0: Gosh, you're covering all those different reboots and whatnots from the comics like this is one of the barriers to entry for me i don't know where to
1: begin i think one of the motivations for these repeated reboots is to set things back to square one to make it easy for people to get in so that they can start with the character's origin being retold without having to carry the weight of these 60 years of history and yet I'm not really sure it's successful in that respect, because it actually is one of the things that turned me off. I feel like if I wanted to get into DC now, I'd have to go back and read 10 years worth of stories.
0: hmm mm-hmm.
1: Or we can just go watch the movies, which I didn't really do with the Christopher Nolan movies of Batman, because I saw the first one. I did not like their take on the character, so I didn't watch the two sequels, even though I hear the Joker was amazing.
0: I fell asleep during the first Batman, uh, Nolan one, and then I... Was one of the few people who was absolutely bored to tears with the one with uh, Joker. Really? The second one. Yep, I did not even bother watching the third one.
1: Because so many people have told me that the second Batman film was worth watching for Heath Ledger alone.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was very good. I was just bored to tears with the movie.
1: Oh, have you tried watching it with riff tracks?
0: <laughs> and I have not, but I know that would probably... Increase the enjoyment factor by a million fold.
1: <laughs> well, some movies are beyond even their saving. I tried watching the original Transformers movie with Rift Tracks, it was still unsalvageable. <laughs> yeah. I also, I did see Man of Steel when it came out, because I, I am one of the few people I know who love Superman Returns from 2006, and I love Superman. He's one of the guys who got me into superhero comics. Despite him being a Boy Scout with all the superpowers, I still think he's amazing. I hated Man of Steel.
0: Oh, yeah. Speaking of two more movies, I had no interest in watching. I loved a lot of Smallville, but uh, the movies since then, like, nope, nope, nope.
1: I never got into Smallville. I liked Lois and Clark.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember watching it a little bit when I was younger. Not too much, though.
1: Did you see Man of Steel?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, that was the one where he uh, killed a bunch of people in the end, and they changed his origin story. Or, it changed, um, father died to a tornado instead of a heart attack.
1: Yes, that is true. He was trying to save the family dog. Yeah, what did you think of Man of Steel? I hated it. And why is that?
0: Because they changed so much. Uh, this is not the Superman that I thought I knew. It was not an exciting watch at all. Not to me at all. Um... I was just kind of bored of it too. Like the DC universe has not enthralled me at all. I completely ignored the Superman versus Batman.
1: Yeah, me too. I skipped it except I was on a plane to Dallas and I did watch the end battle against Doomsday. I guess that's a spoiler. Uh-huh. What I heard about the movie in its entirety of those who saw it was that Wonder Woman was the best part of it.
0: Yeah, I've heard that too. <laughs>
1: And so it's only fitting that she gets her own movie. Not that she got her movie because of her appearance in Batman v Superman, but because it was already in development and this was a way to tie it in to the larger DC Cinematic Universe that they're building. So we've gotten through enough background. Let's talk Wonder Woman. What were your initial thoughts on this film? Well, first of all, why did you want to see it if DC has not enthralled you to date?
0: Honestly, up until the release, I was not excited at all. But okay, yep, another DC movie I'll probably be bored to tears with. But uh, seeing the excitement online and seeing the initial reviews like the week or two beforehand, like saying this is a pretty damn good movie, I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then The weekend happened and everyone's like, oh my god, this is a damn good movie. (laughs) It's like, fine, we'll go see it. They don't really have to twist my arm. I wanted to go see it.
1: And I'm hoping that since you're on the show to talk about Wonder Woman, you did in fact get in with the hype and you liked it?
0: Absolutely. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I had some problems still, we can talk about that later, but uh, I I enjoyed it greatly.
1: Can you give us a spoiler-free broad overview of the plot?
0: Captain Kirk discovers island where Wonder Woman lives. Wonder Woman goes to save the world.
1: Yeah, that's pretty that's <laughs> pretty much it. That is a, a very broad overview. It's set during World War I, so yes, I guess like yep. the 1910s.
0: Which I enjoyed. I love that era in I love some of the ritual fashion. Not necessarily the culture of the time, but I love the, uh, or at least the mentality of people, but I love the fashion and uh, design.
1: Of course, the fashion on Themiskira Island is very different from...
0: Oh my God, it was amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you liked the fashion. That was the first thing that drew you in.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: I'm not sure I paid much attention to the apparel, except when they called out to it. But I did think it was interesting that this is set in World War I, so even if you didn't see Batman v Superman, this is technically a prequel to that film set about a hundred years earlier. So you don't need to have seen any other DC films to enjoy Wonder Woman.
0: That's almost kind of like Captain America, the first movie, too.
1: Yeah, that's right. In fact, there are a lot of similarities where, you know, kind of like we have Agent Carter and Steve Rogers we have Diana Prince and Steve Trevor. You know, so, except one is... I guess in in Captain America, they're more on equal playing ground because they're... Well, no. Actually, in both situations, you have pretty equal pairings where Captain America is a superhero, but Agent Carter is a hero in her own right with her own TV show. And in Wonder Woman, I mean, one is godlike, and the other has a lot of more knowledge of the world. He's much worldlier, and he becomes the guide for Diana as she sets out into the world of man for the first time.
0: Yes. <laughs> I got nothing to add
1: there. What did you think about the pairing of those two? I, some people have called Steve Trevor or Chris Pine the mamsel in this film, as opposed oh to God. the damsel. Do you feel that's accurate? That's
0: beautiful. I don't, I don't. I never once saw him as a damsel or mamsel or, or anything like that. I thought... He did his role, whatever he was supposed to be, very well. Oh, excuse me, I, I just don't know the term. I'm uh, <laughs> mamsel in distress. Uh, caught me off guard there. But he, he did his role as introducing Diana to the world. I didn't think of him as any kind of inferior or superior person. Uh, I thought they worked really well together.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that someone who was so superpowered could get along so well with someone who is just a man. Because Diana Prince, some portrayals of her some caricatures of her have her very royal in her stature very haughty and condescending uh that's more again the the caricature than the actuality but in this film they were really equals i also don't know that i've ever seen chris pine as a character other than james kirk
0: uh i have in one other movie actually i he was some movie where a train was running a runaway train was uh I have no idea the name. I saw it in the background when I was at a hotel. Hmm. And uh, I was like, oh my god, that's Chris Pine. I had no idea.
1: Well, there was Snowpiercer, which had Captain America in it.
0: That one is another one I did not see. That was the train one, too, right? Right. Yeah. Nope, did not see that.
1: So uh, have you seen Chris Pine in a non-Star Trek movie?
0: No, other than that movie I was mentioning. and Oh, I, no, that was another Star Trek role in, in uh, The Captains by William Shatner.
1: I'm sorry, what was that?
0: Oh, was the Captains or The Captains? Uh William Shatner documentary.
1: Oh, okay, yes.
0: But, again, he's Chris Pine or Captain Kirk, so...
1: Right, right. Huh. So, yeah, I'm sure he's done other films. I'm sure I've probably seen trailers for them, but they've never been the kinds of films that I've been attracted to. I I found his role in this film was slightly different from Captain Kirk. You know, not quite as womanizing, a little bit more grounded, uh, a little bit more confident of himself, but also... Yeah, I mean, Captain Kirk is very confident to the point of cocky, and I didn't feel that about Steve Trevor.
0: No, I think other than being Chris Pine, I didn't get a lot of Captain Kirk vibes. And looking through his IMDb, like, no, there's absolutely nothing I've ever seen him in.
1: (laughs) But, of course, the film is not about him. The film is about Wonder Woman, played by Gal Gadot, who I've also never seen or heard of other than in Batman v Superman.
0: It turns out, apparently, I have seen her in a few things, which I uh, did not realize. I've seen her in Fast and Furious movies.
1: Really? She was in those?
0: Yep. Uh, She was in Fast and Furious 2009. She was in Fast Five. Uh, Six and seven. I just don't remember this at all.
1: No clue, huh? So what did you think of her portrayal of this character?
0: Uh, I thought she was amazing. I I, uh, absolutely loved her. I mean, she's also gorgeous, but her talent is... uh, She's a very skillful actress. I I thought she was uh, the best part of the movie, hands down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love the way she balanced the confidence of the one woman character with the naivete of someone who is so unfamiliar with the world at large she has never left Themyscira Island before she's probably in her I would guess late teens early 20s at this point in the movie because uh, I don't know why and she has a very clear sense of right and wrong of what she is supposed to do and there are times when that is challenged, which we'll talk about in the second half of the podcast, and she deals with that crisis really well. You can see the conflict as she tries to reconcile the reality of the harshness of war with how she thinks it's supposed to go.
0: Uh, she also, like I like that a lot, because she did not seem to give much care for the fa- affairs of mortal man.
1: Do you think Wonder Woman took enough time to get her bearings? I mean, it, it almost seems like she was... Forcing her worldview on the world of men or maybe we can talk about this in the second half of the show
0: yeah yeah i think that. okay there.
1: okay so there was a lot of relationship building in this film with the various characters uh chris pine has his cadre of characters that he brings aboard they were somewhat stereotypical but i still kind of liked them
0: oh they were a lot of fun uh, again i don't know anything about them so i could I didn't know that they existed, so I kept thinking of the comparisons to Captain America.
1: The Howling Commandos.
0: Yes, the Howling Commandos. And basically, I kept getting the same vibe. Do you happen to know if um, Captain America and Wonder Woman were published around the same time? I don't know. Originally?
1: Uh, Well, Captain America was fighting Hitler in the comics when they were contemporaries. If I were to look up the Wikipedia page for Wonder Woman, it says that her first appearance was in 1941 all-star comics number eight
0: all right so roughly the same time so I thought it was interesting that there might be a number of parallels that maybe one borrowed from the other and maybe it's just purely coincidence I do not know but uh, I liked it either way I like the mechanic of having a ragtag crew that of all backgrounds uh, working together and they were a lot of fun as well
1: well it's interesting that you brought this up that she was published in 1941 I mean the f- Superman came out in the late 1930s around the same time as the first comic book ever so, there were no comic books or superheroes really during World War I. This film may be the first time we have seen Wonder Woman set in that era, unless you count some Elseworld stories or some time travel stories. She was not a contemporary of World War I. And this film, this film is set 30 years before Captain America.
0: I think that's fascinating. I hadn't thought about that before.
1: So, maybe the Howling Commandos were inspired by Wonder Woman.
0: Uh, possible again, but that doesn't have anything to do with World War One. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably not, no. I
0: have no idea, really. I would like to
1: know. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the action. There is a lot of action in this movie. That is definitely something that can be missing in some superhero movies, like Superman Returns from 2006. Suicide Squad obviously had a lot of action, but it was very light on plot and coherence. Uh, I think Wonder Woman definitely succeeds in those areas, but the action sequences... Uh, there were you know, some right in the beginning on Themyscira Island. There were others. Of course, this is set in World War One, so there's a lot of war scenes. I would say there are at least three or four strong action sequences. And Wonder Woman continues to learn about her own powers and seems to get more and more powerful as the film progresses.
0: The action scenes in Wonder Woman were some of the best action scenes I've seen in a long time, having just come off of seeing John Wick, both of them, for the first time. Seeing the cinematography of those... It- Raise the bar on action scenes for me and well a lot of the scenes in wonder woman do the quick cuts boom 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 so you don't actually see a lot of the action they do have a few longer cuts in there and nowhere near as long as john wick but uh i thought it was really well done and really impressive like she actually seemed like she was kicking ass not just bouncing from camera to camera to camera to camera
1: Yeah, I really liked the action. It was not all that violent. The fight sequences were appropriate for a PG-13 movie, so you don't really see a lot of blood and gore. There's nobody being decapitated or literally dismembered. However, she does fight with a sword, and as you can expect from a sharp-edged weapon, there is going to be some violence. But I thought that uh, it wasn't just about her equipment and how she used it. It was her own training. She has spent her entire life pretty much being trained to be a warrior, an Amazon warrior. And that really comes across when not only does she put her skills and aptitude to the test, but you can tell that the soldiers of World War I were not prepared for this kind of fighting style. They were not expecting an Amazon warrior on the battlefield.
0: No, absolutely not. And She was just plowing through them like there was nothing. I loved it. And one of the best things um, about her whole training is that she was trained by Buttercup.
1: I know. I didn't realize that until the end credits rolled, and I realized that her aunt was the Princess Bride. Yes, yes. I was so excited by that, because I loved Robin Wright in The Princess Bride and Forrest Gump, but the last movie I saw her in a few years ago was called The Congress. I hated it so much, I walked out on it.
0: Oh, goodness. I've not seen that one. I've seen her work in um, House of Cards, which I love her in. She's amazing.
1: Yeah, I just found out she's in that. I'm not much of a TV watcher, so I completely missed her run on that. But the Congress, I, can, I at least cannot blame her. She was fantastic in that film. It was the plot that really turned me off, but she was great in this role and in a role the likes of which I have never seen her play before.
0: No, no, I am not either. She, her, this is nothing like her role in House of Cards, and so uh, that's one of, that's <laughs> that would be most-
1: amazing. <laughs>
0: She's training people to kick the ass. An Amazon
1: warrior on House of Cards. (laughs) Love it. Awesome. One thing I will say about the battle sequences is that she leaves Themyscira Island with three pieces of equipment. Her sword, her shield, and the Lasso of Truth. And I'm really glad she grabbed that because not only is it iconic to the character especially for those who know her i think some people might not realize she has it but in the movie the lasso isn't really portrayed as being hers it's not her heritage it's not her inheritance she basically just stole it as something that she thought she would need and i maybe that's a little spoiler but i'm putting it in the first half of the show she really does use it to good effect in multiple ways in the second half of the film but when she uses it as a weapon. To lasso people and toss them around, I found that the animation of the lasso looked very out of place for the dark setting of World War One. I.
0: I can see that uh, a lot of the sequences it was used in was a very back, or excuse me, uh, was a very dark background versus this very bright lasso. And seeing her use that in melee combat was a little curious. But you know, I, they also did a lot of slow mo when doing it, so we could actually see her whipping it around and deflecting things and so maybe i don't know i I could see what you're going for it didn't take me out of it but i can see what you mean
1: yeah it just looked a little animated but you do bring up a good point that the the hue of it the way they decided to animate it was in sharp contrast to the setting which was very dark and some people have been concerned that wonder woman was as dark, as visually unsaturated, or the saturation was low, as Man of Steel, which was almost a black and white film. I don't remember feeling that way when I saw Wonder Woman. I mean, World War I is a dark era in our history, but I, I didn't feel it was inappropriately so. Well, what was your take on the, the visual contrast of the film?
0: DC discover what color is. <laughs> that was my take. Like, the her her home I see I can't remember I don't even know the name of it that's how little I know about one
1: Themyscira
0: Yeah um that place <laughs>
1: <laughs> Paradise Island
0: right. Paradise Island there we go absolutely gorgeous beautiful beautiful landscape and uh then we get to the real world and it's very dark and very uh brooding very much sim- or very similar to the previous movies and I don't know if this is a DC thing or they just see the world as some kind of dark dark place or what but um She was a bright contrast to it, which I appreciated, especially her weapons.
1: Yeah, you're right. I don't remember seeing the sun shining once after they left Paradise Island. The whole film was either at night or it was overcast, like it was just about to rain wherever she went. But you're right. Her costume was very bright. It was very patriotic. But that brings up another question, which is, was her armor, her outfit... Appropriate for an Amazon warrior, because as you know, in video games in comic books in all forms of popular culture, women are often portrayed as wearing unrealistic armor, which is not very defensive and is more focused on highlighting their physique. Was that the case in this movie?
0: The movie decided to go with the let's let's make her look like classic woman to woman. They weren't trying to go for the modernizing or co- making it more contemporary uh, It did with captain America uh, they did that with his outfit so um So yeah, it's going to show her curves and whatnot a little bit more than I think a costume these days would show. But um, I also thought they did an amazing work with it. It actually looked like it was designed by women. And the biggest thing that makes me feel this way is that her chest plate. Usually in superhero movies, they have uh, this perfectly round chest plate over their boobs. Hers, they actually almost fit the shape of uh, boobs and I was like, "Wow, that's like a very small detail that I don't know if a lot of guys would notice." But, <laughs> but seeing here, watching this, like, "Wow, that's am- that's amazing. That's impressive. It Actually, looks like it was designed on an island of women."
1: Huh? That's that's very cool. I don't know that I had given much thought to it. I mean, I think that she she looks like she's outfitted like somebody you don't want to cross because she will decapitate you. <laughs> yes. And so th- the armor does a good job at instilling fear in her enemies. It does, however leave a lot of her extremities exposed, her arms, her legs, to a degree, her shoulders. So I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily all that defensive. I also don't know if she really necessarily needs to be defensive. Uh, I was defensive. just going to
0: add, um, the way they train, it seems like, no, this is not something they need to worry about so much because they'll just deflect shots that are going to hit the vulnerable areas.
1: Right. If somebody has landed a blow, something has already gone wrong. Right. That's, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. That this armor might be appropriate not just for her physique, but for her fighting style. It never occurred to me that those two need to be complementary. You need to take one into consideration when choosing the other.
0: I mean, even think about it in the, um, uh, it's almost getting spoilery, but her, her outfit choices uh, when she gets to, or when she leaves the island, she fusses over that because she does not have mobility in her legs.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. So you need to choose the armor that's appropriate for your fighting style. Awesome. So we've, we've kind of been hinting around the, the spoiler aspects, and I do want to get to that. But there's another big topic I want to address in this first half of the show, which takes us outside the fiction of the film and talks about it as a film itself, specifically its production and its success. For example, we now have financial evidence that there is a demand for strong female protagonists. What is Hollywood going to learn from this? Are we going to be seeing more movies like this? Are we going to see that Black Widow movie sooner rather than later? What do you think? I doubt it. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> it's disappointing, but at least not anytime soon. I got it. Do I hope so? Yes. Good Lord, yes. But um, no, Hollywood uh, is very, very conservative when it comes to trying things like this. And I think it'll still be a while before we get more movies like this, such as this. Plus, if we keep drawing well from past material, it's uh, there's not... I mean, while there's plenty of uh, things like Wonder Woman or uh, even like Xena or things like that, there's not as many as there are with men. There are so many more examples of men being the star of the show. And when Hollywood keeps just redoing and rehashing things that already exist, we're just not going to get as many.
1: I know some comic book fans who don't like it when superheroes are reinvented. They want them to stay just the way they were in the comics, which is very narrow-minded because... A lot of these superheroes were created during a very conservative and very racist and sexist period in American history. Mm, Absolutely. And they've already evolved through the comics. If you want Superman to be the way he was when he was originated, then he wouldn't be able to fly. He'd just be able to leap over tall buildings (laughs) with a single bound.
0: Yep, yep. So you can't pick and choose your
1: battles. Exactly. So it's it's very inconsistent to say that there is one interpretation of superheroes that is canon and that all interpretations should follow that model. I don't know that we have so few female superheroes to choose from. I think it's just that they are not as well-known, and as you said, they're unwilling to take a chance. For example, I would love to see a Captain Marvel movie that stars Kamala Khan, who is yes. a, a Middle Eastern woman. You know, Is that going to happen? Unfortunately, probably not.
0: No, not anytime soon. I would also love to see Lady Thor.
1: Wow, I know, right? I saw some people dressed up to go see... Captain America three last year, the Thor that was in that group was Lady Thor. I'm like that. That is amazing. I love that.
0: Uh-huh. So yeah, when Captain Kirk's dad finally decides to stop making Thor movies, <laughs> get Lady Thor.
1: Right. See, so when Chris Chris Hemsworth, who may or may not be in the fourth Star Trek movie, if there is one, you know, maybe he can pass the hammer down and let Lady Thor take it for a while.
0: <laughs> oh, I would love that. <laughs>
1: So Wonder Woman seems to be a huge success. It is the biggest opening weekend for a female director ever. How come Wonder Woman succeeded where the Ghostbusters reboot of 2016 failed? Because that was, again, four female protagonists in a well-known franchise, and it didn't do well enough to earn a sequel. They said it's basically done.
0: Oh, I had not heard that, honestly. It was disappointing to hear that, because I enjoyed the Ghostbusters film. There might be a lot to unfold here. Ghostbusters is a reboot with uh, gender swap roles, or where Wonder Woman is not. Uh, that could be a part of it, because, you know, internet culture, we love to complain about everything that changes, especially things that change genders.
1: Oh, do we ever. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's true, that there were a lot of people upset about how Ghostbusters was ruining their childhood, which is utter malarkey, in my opinion. But you're right, Wonder Woman has always been Wonder Woman. She's never been Wonder Man, and they swapped it to be some sort of a feminist agenda or whatever. Although, it is worth pointing out, not once in the movie is she called Wonder Woman. We never hear those words or phrase throughout the entire film.
0: You're right. I didn't notice that.
1: It is not until the closing credits that we actually see it say Wonder Woman.
0: I did not notice that. I think I like that.
1: And also, brief aside, I was very disappointed by the lack of Linda Carter cameo.
0: You know, that would have been lovely. It may be, it may be in the um, next one or something like that. But you're right. Usually they do some kind of, like, okay, I don't know about DC Universe, but Marvel Universe, they will, they, lo- they love breaking that fourth wall or just knock on it. And I enjoy that. And so maybe DC Universe does not do that? I couldn't tell you.
1: Uh, the Superman Returns in 2006 had the original Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen in the film.
0: Oh that's right that's right
1: that's right but uh I think maybe Linda Carter would have been a little too forced a little too obvious I don't know
0: Possibly she could have been an amazon or
1: right uh,
0: or or uh just a woman anywhere in the world Yes
1: <laughs> Although I don't think there were any elderly amazons
0: I suppose no no
1: And and that's something we'll talk about in the spoiler cast. But uh, going back to the feminist agenda of Wonder Woman. So as I mentioned, this film is one of the first superhero movies to be directed by a woman. And it is the largest opening weekend for a female director ever. Which, by the way, another brief aside, I want to point out that you, Sabriel, are the one who taught me that female is a adjective, not a noun. (laughs) And so it is not that the film was directed by a female It was directed Mm -hmm. by a woman or a female director. And I love the litmus test you gave me, which is that if it sounds like something a Ferengi would say, don't say it.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad you remembered that.
1: It is unforgettable, so thank you. (laughs) So yeah, Patty Jenkins directed this film, and people are making a lot of news about that, including the very headline I just shared with you, largest opening for a female director ever. We keep putting that adjective in there as if it matters. And I want to ask you, does it matter that this film has a female director?
0: I honestly did not know until I went into the movie. Really? Yeah, I, I just, like I said, I'm mostly ignoring the movie because, oh, it's DC. All right, another movie I won't be interested in. So, uh, yeah, I think it's amazing because I don't think any superhero movie up until this point has had a female director.
1: This is only the second film in Hollywood's history to have both a budget in excess of $100 million and a female director.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> It's kind of shocking me here. Wow.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know why that is. I mean, I do know why that is. I just there are too many reasons for me to start enumerating here. But I, I'm hoping that this means that women characters are best represented by women directors who understand them, who know them, as opposed to some male director mansplaining. Not that that's always the case, but nonetheless.
0: Right. I honestly I can sense that here. And I was just going to look at uh, the screenplay, Let's see who wrote that. But it's three guys. But it seems like I had a woman's touch on top of it.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I think this is somebody who gets not only the character, but the audience. And I don't know what this film would have looked like if it had been directed by a man. I don't know how different it would have been. I don't know. I can't say exactly where that influence can be seen. But uh, on the other hand, you know, I'm sure there are people out there, and I can understand why they would say this. I'm sure they'll say it doesn't matter who the director is as long as the film is good. You know, in an equal world, that would be true where sexism wasn't a thing and equal opportunities were available to all genders. That would be, I think, ideal, but we don't live in that world. We live in a very biased and sexist society where there are not a lot of big budget directorial opportunities being made available to very qualified women. And I think that this film is an example of what can happen. When we correct that
0: you say very well I think that's a great way to put it and I hope this does introduce new opportunities for other directors in the future and maybe maybe Hollywood will at least get their acting gear in this regard
1: right so even if we don't see necessarily more strong female protagonists maybe we'll see more strong female directors I don't know I'm also curious to know what will happen when the Wonder Woman character is directed by a man which is happening later this calendar year when Wonder Woman reappears in Justice League.
0: Oh, it's coming out this year already. See, so this is how little I follow <laughs> that universe.
1: Yeah, when I went to see Wonder Woman, there was a Justice League trailer before the movie. Oh, I think
0: I, yeah, I think I saw that. Oh, I, I ignored I was on my phone waiting wait for it to go by. <laughs> this <laughs> shows how little I have interest, how little I have uh, um, put into this world.
1: It was interesting, though, that they're basically advertising the Wonder Woman sequel in advance of the Wonder Woman movie.
0: Uh, actually, it, to add to that, what's interesting Notice they did not add any, um, this is not a spoiler, this will save you at the end, uh, they did add, not add anything during the credits. And apparently the choice was for that was intentional, saying we're already, you've already seen uh, what this is leading to, so there was no point.
1: Right. Half the theater I was in, including myself, stayed until the very end of the credits, and we were disappointed that there was nothing there. I don't
0: know if we just gotten used to that with other superhero movies, or what? It was kind of like, oh... Okay, this is weird walking out during the credits.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, on one hand, I want to say it's more of a Marvel thing, but on the other hand, Suicide Squad had stuff at the end.
0: Did another movie I avoided?
1: Eh, <laughs> you know, it got such a bad rap that if you knew that going in, it was better than if you went in hoping for a great film.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: But yeah, Justice League is coming out later this year. It is coming out November 17th, directed primarily by Zack Snyder who has done other good stuff, so we'll see what he does here.
0: Didn't I hear that Joss Whedon is helping out with that?
1: Yeah, Zack Snyder had a uh, family tragedy that required that he step away from the camera for a while, so Joss Whedon stepped in to fill in for him with the uh, last bit of directing that was needed.
0: Okay, I see, I see.
1: And of course, Joss Whedon was at one time rumored to be doing a Wonder Woman movie. Oh, was he? Yeah, in fact, I think it was more than a rumor. I think he may have even had a script submitted and everything, but in the end, it didn't work out. This was years ago, so it wasn't this film that we just saw that he was supposed to direct. It was another Wonder Woman movie, like, ten years ago.
0: Oh, fascinating.
1: Yeah, so he finally gets his shot at it. Not that that's his first time doing superhero movies, of course. He did The Avengers, but it'll be good to see him back behind the camera of a major, big-budget superhero film. In the meantime, though, until Justice League comes out, we have Wonder Woman. I wouldn't be surprised if I end up seeing it again in theaters. What about you?
0: I could totally see myself doing that. Maybe I'll wait a little bit, but yeah, I had so much fun. I would, yeah, I would, pro- I would go see it again.
1: Awesome! And I'll probably get it on Blu-ray because it's just the kind of film that I want to have in my library, and I want to reinforce their decision to make this movie by voting for it with my dollars.
0: As you put it, I want, I want to live in a world where this exists.
1: Yay! Yay! <laughs> I love that. Great. So, Bree, that is the end of our spoiler-free part of the show. We've already been going for about 45 minutes. I suspect the second quote-unquote half will be shorter than the first half. So let's start the spoiler part here. If you have not yet seen Wonder Woman, you may want to hang up here and go to polygamer.net where you can find the show notes for this episode, including links to Sabriel's website at sabriel.me, including her show Pulse Bomb Ready and all her Overwatch stuff. So I highly recommend it. Me too. (laughs) I would hope so. Uh, In the meantime, here we go into the spoiler cast.
0: Oh my god, the, the shield defending against the machine gun thing was so cool!
1: <laughs> oh, okay, Brie, what was your favorite action sequence? <laughs> so you like the part where she steps out into No Man's Land.
0: Yep, yeah, and she's like, oh, No Man's Land, okay, I can go. I mean, that's not what she said. <laughs> I like, okay, but she goes out there just, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I like to play tank girls in video games, and here's Wonder Woman-, Woman being a tank.
1: I was wondering if they were going to riff Lord of the Rings, where she basically says, I am no man, and she steps out there. <laughs> But maybe that would have been a little bit too obvious, like, it's been done.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, no, it wouldn't have fit.
1: <laughs> but, but yeah, that sequence, that moment, is the first time we see her in her full Wonder Woman regalia. She sort of turns her back to the camera, fidgets for a bit to put on her tiara, and then steps out into No Man's Land. The movie goes in a slow motion. She bats those bullets away as if she's Neo learning his powers at the end of the first Matrix film. And then when the bullets get fiercer, she pulls out her shield and holds her ground like so many women on the Internet have to do every day.
0: Oh, my God. Just describing the scene again, I started getting a chill (laughs) right now. It's so cool.
1: Well, that is one thing, is that a lot of the best sequences in this film were teased during the trailers. I kind of felt like there weren't a lot of surprises, but that whole action sequence, starting with her stepping out to No Man's Land, then continues into the village, the town, and I don't think I'd seen any of that before. And that was pretty amazing as well, where Chris Pine is running along the ground trying to keep up with Wonder Woman, who's literally plowing through the buildings.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, oh, that was all really cool, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, yeah, I definitely have to see the movie again.
1: Yeah, it's almost as if she was the Incredible Hulk, and yeah, it was it was impressive. I wasn't quite sure what to think of when she took out the sniper. I loved the ingenuity of Chris Pine using that shield maneuver to give her a boost. But really, that boost was maybe two to three feet, and she had to jump 40. Did it really matter?
0: No, no, it didn't change. I mean, they gave her a boost, but no. It was just more like, yeah, I saw this thing happen. Let's do this. Let's encourage her.
1: I mean, it was only in the last five or ten minutes that Chris Pine, that Steve Trevor, had ever seen Wonder Woman behave as anything more than a very fierce warrior. And even a fierce warrior can't jump 40 feet. So he already was getting the sense that there is more to this woman than he knew, and that he could count on her to outperform everybody else on the battlefield. So he was a very fast learner, and he showed a lot of trust, faith, and confidence in her.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And of course, at the end of that action sequence is the celebratory moment in the town, where there's music, there's dancing, or swaying, depending on who you ask.
0: (laughs) Sway, I love that. That was cute. Like, yeah, that's my dance. Swaying.
1: You know, my friend Joel Hilk wrote a review of this film, and he said that that film, that scene really demonstrated what everybody was fighting for it was a moment of tenderness and goodness in a very dark world and he felt like the film would have benefited from a few more scenes like that just one or two more scenes that the whole film was you know as we already talked about in the color palette it was dark there was a lot of i mean it's world war one it's not a very happy place but in that moment in that town they could forget all that and they could be happy But then, of course, after that is when they decide to go to bed.
0: Ugh. The only part of the movie I was like, okay, I could (laughs) could ignore this.
1: (laughs) So you roll your eyes at Steve Trevor and Diana Prince having that form of a relationship. Why is that?
0: I'm sure it's great for hetero people, but I was like, oh, okay.
1: (laughs) Well, you bring up a good point, which is that Wonder Woman, in some more recent iterations of the comic book, is bisexual, and I believe you said her creator was not heteronormative in the some sense. I
0: believe the creator was Poly or his own version of polyamorous, and but I have no idea if that ever transferred into the comic at all. And I had no idea about the bisexuality of Wonder Woman. I was just like, oh, hetero. Okay, it's not this part's not for <laughs> me. All <laughs> I'll just wait it wait it out.
1: What I wonder is we don't really see scenes like that in any of the movies featuring. Male superheroes.
0: Oh, no, it's always either a conquest or hey, hey, and then it cuts away right away. There was no sweet, tender moments, or very rare.
1: Right, and I did feel that the way they handled it in this movie, it was sweet, it was tender, it did cut away. I found it very intimate and respectful.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. It just wasn't for me.
1: Sure. But I I still wonder why we don't see men being... There's a certain level of vulnerability, I think, in this interpretation of Wonder Woman. She doesn't know the world, and Steve Trevor is the first man she's ever met, but she's already seen so much of man's world and met other men in the version of the Howling Commandos, whatever they're called. It's not like I don't think she's falling for the first guy she meets, even if literally she is. Uh, It's just curious to me that we don't really have a romantic subplot in male superhero movies, so oh,
0: absolutely no, the, their tender moments have to come when a friend dies.
1: Oh, good point. When
0: a when a woman is uh, being endearful to him, endearing to him. Right. It's always oh my bro, my bro friend, dying or having troubles. This hurts and pains me. <laughs> it's right. It's ridiculous.
1: Right, because men are only allowed to show certain kinds of emotions. Mm-hmm.
0: Or or my mother figure just died, in the world of Spider Man.
1: Right. Right. Man of Steel, the father, just died in Tornado. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. always something. Yeah, so even though I liked that scene, I liked that relationship, I it still stands out as an anomaly in superhero movies, and I can't help but wonder why we're treating Wonder Woman so much differently from the men. I mean, I know why, but I don't know why.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: So, actually, we talked a little bit about him being the first man she met, and they never really... Came right out and said that Steve Trevor was the first man to set foot on Paradise Island. That is something that often comes up in the animated films or in the comic books. How no man is allowed on Themyscira, and yet he shows up and is immediately followed by a ton of Nazis. <laughs> no,
0: no, not Nazis.
1: Not Nazis. They're just Germans. Did we? This is World War One. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so used to World War II. Good point. I understand, Thank you. yes. Huh. Okay. And there is, of course, that immediate battle sequence on the beach where I was impressed by the Amazon's resilience. They had never seen a gun before, and they didn't back down in the face of it.
0: Oh, not at all. Chris Pine's character says, uh, oh, Steve, yeah, also Steve. Uh, he's like, do you have anything more than <laughs> this to the fight them? And they're like, no, we can hold our own. They didn't say that, but they did hold their own.
1: Right. It's impressive. And of course, we did see Wonder Woman's aunt pass away, Robin Wright. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of mourning, though.
0: No, there wasn't. The whole scene where the fight action was happening, like, okay, which of the two mother figures is going to die? I didn't know. And it was Buttercup's character, who uh, just had to kick some ass with their triple arrow. Right. <laughs> that was so cool. Uh, yeah, she was the one who died. And I uh, know she didn't get much mourning. Like, I didn't, while the Amazons were cool, I didn't feel a strong connection to them which I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but I I would love to have seen more of the island or that world.
1: Well, I was wondering if the Amazons are immortal because Diana is the only child on the island and they can't really make any more because there are no men on the island. And so unless they're immortal or at least very long-lived like Vulcans, this whole island would have been depopulated after maybe 100 years.
0: Yeah, uh, I suspect it's like uh, elves in Lord of the Rings a lot of... Um, fiction where they're immortal until killed, is how I put it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is such a contradiction, and I love it, because it makes but perfect it fits sense. But it though. It, it fits. makes perfect sense. Uh-huh. Okay, well, I suppose that's true.
0: That was my assumption going in. Again, not knowing any of the lore.
1: Right. Okay. Now, this also leads into... There were two big reveals near the end of the film regarding the identity of certain characters. First, let's talk about Wonder Woman's identity. She... Was hinted at at the beginning of the film by her mother and her aunt saying, you know, Diana doesn't know who she is. She can't find out or else Ares will find her. And so you already know there's something to Wonder Woman. And I immediately leaned over and said, I bet she's the God killer. (laughs) <laughs> because because I don't remember there being any, like, mythical sword-like Excalibur in the comic book. Sure, she fights with a sword, but I don't remember it being magical like her lasso.
0: That did seem kind of obvious, yeah. I was like, okay, well, I didn't know her sword was magical, but okay, I'll go with it. And then it turns out to be her. I was like, okay, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that did not surprise me. But I was surprised by her heritage, because my understanding of her character was exactly what she was led to believe. That she was sculpted from clay. And then at the end of the movie... She is informed that she is, in fact, the daughter of Zeus.
0: Surprise! He shoved another kid out of his forehead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, why not, you know? <laughs> but then, I, so not being superly familiar with Wonder Woman, especially recent incarnations, I looked on Wikipedia, and it seems that her character in the comics was rebooted around 2011, and that she is now the daughter of Zeus, and that before that she was molded from clay.
0: Yeah, I was reading some sites afterwards, and it sounds like this was supposed to be a little nod to the original origination story in the clay thing, yeah.
1: And one that she was led to believe because it was for her own good, I guess. But it also explains why throughout the film, she seems to be marveling at her own abilities. Like, when she starts climbing walls or batting bullets away, she just seems in awe of herself,
0: she was like, "Wow, I can do this! I, of course, I can do this! Yeah, I rock!"
1: <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. She didn't get more hurt not knowing her own abilities.
0: Um, maybe they'll lead that up to like her another movie where she's still trying to figure out her. Well, no, after so in the end, it goes to the present day. So she's obviously figured things out in the last eighty years or so, hundred years.
1: Well, you know, in that very last sequence when she jumps off the building in London, I heard people in the audience asking, "Is she flying?"
0: Like, to me, it looked obvious she was
1: jumping. Because in the comic book she can fly; she doesn't need an invisible jet.
0: That's interesting. Well, I, I, to me it looked like she was jumping, but I was like, oh, I didn't know she could fly, and so I mean, I so I assumed she was jumping, but huh?
1: I don't know. It might be something she develops because there was one brief moment in the final battle sequence where it almost looked like she was flying.
0: This is true. This is true. I just assumed it was, uh, you know, her special powers like hovering for a while and then shooting lightning, and because of course Zeus.
1: So maybe she can uh, levitate.
0: Yeah, so I guess we'll find out. Maybe that was supposed to be one of those, will she, won't she? Or maybe everyone who is listening to this is like, oh, gosh,
1: <laughs> read a book. <laughs> read, a I book. <laughs> read a graphic novel. <laughs> Come on. And then, of course, there was another reveal as far as identities go. The movie leads us to believe that the leader of the not-Nazi army is Ares Incarnate.
0: Yeah, it's Professor Lupin.
1: Right. It was Remus Lupin from Harry Potter was, in fact, the bad guy. That's
0: how I saw the entire time. I was like, oh, it's Professor Lupin.
1: (laughs) Uh, But did you know that he was Ares?
0: I didn't. I didn't kind of start picking it up until before the last battle. This is too soon. Something's up, and like, no, it's got to be him. He's the one trying to stop this or keep the battle going.
1: Yeah. uh, When he was on the phone and he said, do not go to that gala, I thought to myself... I wonder if he is Ares, manipulating everything from behind the front lines. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of forgot about that because we have this German guy who the superpower gas that he's inhaling only seems to work on him. Yep, the ability to to crush a gun in your bare hands, even with some sort of a nerve gas, doesn't seem like something a mere mortal would be able to do.
0: Right? No, the, the whole um, uh, German bad guy guys, things like they didn't seem to focus on them enough for me to start thinking like this is obviously them. I knew something was up, but I didn't quite figure it out until towards the end. But those two did not seem like the supervillain types.
1: When she did finally kill him, I thought maybe now he's about to reveal his true form, and I kept waiting for like the body to wake up, pull the sword out that he'd just been impaled on. And he's like, nope. Now let's start the real battle.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It did, I think they were kind of giving, trying to give that vibe too.
1: Right. I was totally misled. <laughs> I did think it interesting that once we do find out that Remus Lupin is Ares and he now, you know, girds himself with his armor and we have flashbacks to when he was cast out from the heavens, that he still looks exactly like an old English professor with a little mustache.
0: Yep, yep. I, I It did not sell me at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, he did not seem like a god of war to me.
1: Right. I can totally get that Ares would look like a british professor to fool people but once he reveals his true form i don't expect him to keep looking like that
0: right and yeah <laughs> that that was a little weird especially seeing his mustache behind his helmet which the whole crafting his helmet and armor and weapons like on the fly was really cool effect, but it did not sell it for me as he's the god of war
1: right and that whole battle was interesting i i found that uh Wonder Woman finally did use that maneuver where she clangs her bracers together, which we only saw once before at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And it seems like such a powerful move that I guess the only reason she didn't do it earlier is because the first time she did it, she hurt her aunt and she was afraid to do so again.
0: Well, it might be something like, if this could do something to an Amazon- Amazonian woman, maybe it would actually be harmful to humans, like, like deadly, maybe? I don't know.
1: So I guess she was waiting until she was actually up against a god. Yeah. Yeah. And then her when her bracers started collecting the lightning, which I thought throwing lightning was Zeus's thing, but now it's apparently Ares's thing as well. And she's like, oh, this is how my father defeated him. This is how I can defeat him too, with lightning.
0: Yeah. Thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening.
1: <laughs> but but again, she just seemed to be marveling at what she's capable of, that she didn't know, oh, sure, of course I can collect lightning with my bracers.
0: <laughs> it was kind of interesting where well, a lot of this stuff is like, there was not really much for build-up, like, learning the stuff. She just kind of used it when she needed it and discovered she could do it when she needed it, which kind of, like, eh, okay.
1: I was wondering how she was going to defeat him, because you can't necessarily defeat the god of war by going to war with him. You know, that just feeds him.
0: Yeah, I was, I was trying to figure out, like, how is this going to work?
1: <laughs> it's the power of love, Sabriel.
0: Yeah, yeah, I should have known. <laughs>
1: Still, though, that was a tragic ending for Steve Trevor. It's one of the few things that always gets me in a movie. If you want to make me cry, one of the, you can put in one or both of these things. When something bad happens to a dog, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wh- whether it's accidental, intentional, or natural, doesn't matter. The Homeward Bound movies get me every time. Spoiler. And also, self-sacrifice, especially to save somebody else. And Steve Trevor, he took so long to fire that gun... That I, I just, I was in pain wondering what could possibly be running through his head, knowing that it's going to be his last thought ever.
0: Well, here are my thoughts in the scene where, oh, a plane with a super weapon on it is, is Captain America again. And it's also Steve on an airplane.
1: That, that also occurred to uh-huh.
0: me. <laughs> but then, then the whole scene, I was like, well, this is taking a not that I was hu- waiting for it to hurry up but I was like maybe something will happen where he's stayed because this is taking a long time.
1: It is very similar to Captain America and it did take a while but Captain America was already a superhero at that point and we knew it was building up to the Avengers. Steve Trevor is a mere man which makes his sacrifice all the more noble. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the animated series how it should have ended, Captain America totally could have gotten away from that plane alive.
0: Oh, easily. <laughs>
1: Right, but Steve Trevor had no such opportunity.
0: The, the thing about the Captain America scene was it was more uh, heartbreaking because of the relationship but uh, with Carter, Agent right. Carter. Yeah. Seeing her reaction to it was the emotional thing. Here it was him and his self-sacrifice.
1: Right, because Steve Rogers and Agent Carter had not really consummated their relationship. I don't. It was more flirtatious at that point. It was more of a potential. And also, they were on the radio. Mm-hmm while Steve Rogers was going down the plane, while Steve Trevor, he was completely isolated and alone. Yep. The same way that his father sacrificed himself in Star Trek 2009, <laughs> you know, that just wrecked me when I saw that. And it oh still my God, do- yeah. I know. And, and it still does. Whereas this sacrifice, same thing. I mean, he took after his dad and it's just... It was heart-wrenching. Uh, it was, it's interesting, though. I was looking up Justice League in the IMDb. It lists the headlines for news stories that are about that movie. And one of the headlines was, Will Steve Trevor be in Justice League?
0: Like, well, as a, as a like, uh, flashback,
1: maybe? That's the only <laughs> way it would work. But we saw...
0: Oh, it's superhero movies. We didn't actually see him
1: die. Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess he could pull a Bucky. But at the same time, the Wonder Woman movie charts in its entirety the relationship between Diana Prince and Steve Trevor. It's not like they knew each other before the movie or after the movie. We saw everything. So what else could a flashback have? Yeah, you got me. I don't know. But it was a noble sacrifice. I The the brief flashback they had in the movie where she suddenly remembers hearing what he said and his last words to her. Like We'd already seen him give her the watch, but then we hear what words went with it. Those are hard words to say. That just made it all the more poignant.
0: Mm, mm, mm. I, I really liked how they did that. The she couldn't hear, and then we actually got to he- we actually got to go back and hear. I was like, oh wow, that was really well done.
1: Yeah. Do you think that she didn't hear it the first time, like when it was deafened? It was for the audience's benefit.
0: No, I think she couldn't hear very well because the whole act, you know, she was just attacked with the explosion, and I think she was. I think she was putting the pieces together like I mean if you go back you can start fitting things and you know maybe, maybe she did I don't know exactly yeah. it's it's a superhero movie <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, maybe it was for it's for us but I think it was still well done
1: yeah I mean between contextual clues and lip reading she, she may have figured it out
0: she was focused on the fight more than her his lips at the time
1: right and she still had the watch 80 years later yeah actually more like 100 years later
0: yeah I, I know it's weird to think that isn't it I was I did that earlier in the show 80 no 100 years ago <laughs>
1: yeah i think maybe we're still thinking about world war ii i don't know
0: uh, i'm just thinking it's still 2000
1: <laughs> oh brie no, oh about no. It. <laughs> no no that's a, that's no a it's a no,
0: for something else but we're kind of stuck in that 2000 era
1: it's the aughts yep no no we we've, we've moved on to the tens brie
0: <laughs> what we're almost in the 20s <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right well i think i've said everything that was on my agenda for this spoiler cast do you have anything you want to add about wonder woman
0: afterwards i want to go out and i felt empowered i want to go punch a hundred men no (laughs) bad guys of course
1: i mean that is an interesting dichotomy which is that her enemy was the god of war and in a larger context this film was about the good and the evil that lurks in the hearts of men when she defeated Ares, she did eventually get the resolution she was hoping for where all those germans they basically laid down their arms and started hugging each other and you could see that under those masks those gas masks they were just young men. They were boys, really. Yeah, yeah. And so there was apparently a degree of influence of Ares, and you saw how he would whisper secrets into people's ears. But I think Chris Pine's character was also speaking truly when he said, "We're all responsible for this. We're all capable of this. You know, whether or not Ares is present, this is what lurks in the hearts of men. It's the potential for either." And we saw. Steve Trevor take that to the extreme when he sacrificed himself for everybody, really? I thought that was an appropriate conclusion to his story, and that he really demonstrated to Wonder Woman what he was trying to say. He put actions to his own words.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. She is very naive going into the world. (laughs) And um, in that short amount of time, he really showed what humanity can be like and can do when they rise above it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a shame that everybody in that town that they had just saved had to die. Oh my
0: god, that was heartbreaking.
1: <laughs> and I honestly don't know if that's Chris Pine's fault or not, because she thought it was. She said, "I could have saved them, and you stopped me."
0: Uh huh. And he, well, he even said, "Like we don't know where the bomb is yet. Hold on."
1: But in the end, he redeemed himself. I hope. Yeah. So <sighs> wonderful. Well, no pun intended. That yeah, is. I
0: was going to say you were saying marveling. <laughs>
1: And <laughs> it was a marvelous movie. It was a wonderful film. I want to see it again. And I'm so glad I, I had somebody to help me interpret it. So thank you, Brie.
0: Oh, thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, one more time. Remind us where we can find you online.
0: You can find me on my website, Sabriel.me, that has links to all my socials and all my projects. Otherwise, on Twitter, it's at Sabreality, if you can spell that. Because I can't.
1: As we've learned from previous episodes. Yes. And there will be a link in the show notes to all that. You can find those show notes at polygamer.net, and you can find me, Ken Gagney, on Twitter at GameBits. Until next time, Bree, stay wonderful.
0: <laughs> this has been Polygamer of GameBits Production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at
1: polygamer.net.
0: Some of the action scenes, I've, uh, yeah.